Hello, and welcome to the RCC Weekly Sermon Podcast. This week, Pastor Kenny taught from Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 45, about Jesus' kingdom, which is built from the inside out. We've been going through this kind of series called The Greater Reward, where we've been looking at all of uh, Luke chapter 6, and it's important that we know that the things that Jesus, that we're going to look at that Jesus says this morning is a part of a bigger context, and I'm going to try to help you understand that so that we can understand what Jesus is saying to us and how we can apply it in our lives. Um, but before we do that, I want to explain to you what Palm Sunday is and how it actually profoundly uh, uh, is, connects, I think, perfectly with what we're going to talk about today, which wasn't really intentional. I just, it just kind of worked out that way. So Palm Sunday, uh, we're celebrating uh, a moment in history, which was the week before Jesus dies on the cross. Jesus enters into Jerusalem, he's Jewish, and seven times a year they would have these big feasts, and three of those were called pilgrim feasts, where everybody would come from all over the place to Jerusalem to celebrate these feasts, and one of those was the Feast of Passover. You might have heard of it, right? Passover. And Jesus is entering Jerusalem at the beginning of the week during Passover, and in a week from this moment, roughly... He's going he's gonna to die on the cross. So at Easter, we celebrate Jesus' resurrection. A week before that, we celebrate what is often called his triumphal entry. So here's what happens. Jesus enters into Jerusalem, and people are waving palm branches like our kids were. And they're, they're, they're celebrating. They're screaming out a line from Psalm 118, which is, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Right? And it's called the triumphal entry. But there's a lot of history that you need to understand to understand what's going on in this moment. So let's go all the way back to Abraham. God calls Abraham thousands of years before. Nobody's following Jesus. Abraham is a pagan. God comes to him, says, go to this new place, and I'm going to establish this new covenant with you. He says, I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be a blessing to all the nations. And then Abraham has a a son, Isaac, and then Isaac has a son, Jacob. And if you know the story, God wrestles with Jacob, and he changes his name to Israel, which means wrestles with God. That's where we get the name Israel. And and Israel has 12 sons. We have 12 tribes in Israel. And these, these 12 sons then go into Egypt. We know this story, right? And they're in slavery for 400 years. And Jesus, I mean, and God comes through Moses and leads them out of Israel, and we begin to celebrate what's called the Passover, because, because God passes over all the Israelites' firstborn sons, and all the Egyptian firstborn sons are, are, are put to death. There's this Passover moment. That's what Jesus is celebrating way back when. So they come out of slavery, and basically they're led into the promised land. They wander in the wilderness. They're led into the promised land, and then they have this season, called, about 400 years, called the Judges where they're, they're basically just left with, with some rules of how to live and just to, to trust, like, you, you, on your own, you can, you can follow this God with these rules. Well, how does that go? It does not go very well. Turns out, when left alone with a set of rules, we don't naturally do the right thing. And it says that they do what's right in their own eyes. And then he comes this era called the, the monarchy, where there's a king over Israel for 400 years. And because of sin, the kings have sin, the people have sin. It doesn't go very well. It doesn't fix all of their issues. And they end up going into what's called an exile 
Assyria comes and takes over the northern kingdom. The kingdom is split by now because of sin. Uh, And then 100 years later, Babylon comes and takes over the southern kingdom. And they're in captivity for 70 years. And then they get released from 70 years of captivity, which always prophesied that it would be exactly 70 years, that it would be Babylon and Assyria that come. And then Persia takes them all over, if you understand world history, during that time. And then King Cyrus from Persia lets them go, just like it was prophesied in the, in the, in the book of Daniel. It's amazing. And then now they're, 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 they're reestablishing, trying to, to, to figure out how to live from this God after exile. And if you know world history, this guy named Alexander the Great comes and takes over most of the known world, right? The, the Greek uh, empire. And then when he's about 30, he dies of alcoholism, right? I don't know if you knew that. And his kingdom is way too big for anybody other than, than, than Alexander the Great to handle, right? And so they split it into four sections. One of these sections takes over Israel. And perhaps the worst king that's ever lived, most historians would state, is, is now ruling over Israel. He goes into the temple, and he urinates in one section and sacrifices a pig on their altar. If you know anything about the kosher rules, this is not okay. It stirs up the Maccabean family. He's one of the priests, the Maccabean family, and this guy named Maccabee, his nickname was The Hammer. If it was WWE, The Hammer, right? And he, he stirs up this revolution against the Greek people who have desecrated the temple. And he ends up winning. I mean, it's like a David and Goliath story. At one point, at the end of this Maccabean revolution, you can read about it you know, on Wikipedia. Maccabean revolution is this huge historical event. At the end of this Maccabean revolution, they're in the temple, they're holding tight, they only have enough oil to last for one night, and if you read through Leviticus, you're supposed to keep the, 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 the oil and the lamp lit all the time. That's a symbol of God's presence, and so it's very important to them, and they end up keeping it for eight days, and that's where we get Hanukkah, the festival of lights. They celebrate it from this Maccabean revolution. Well, After they win this, it's around 160 years before Jesus, they win this revolution. All of a sudden, they want to celebrate. And the last of the seven feasts that they missed out because they were at war was Sukkot, right? In Sukkot, one of the traditions is is you, you, you create these sukkahs, these tabernacles, these tents. You make it out of palm branches and other things. So they wanted to celebrate. They grab all these palm branches And they start celebrating. And the other thing that you would do during Sukkot is you would read through these rituals through Psalm 113, through Psalm 118. And guess what it ends with? Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so it becomes this revolutionary symbol. Palm branches were like if you went to a, a, you saw a bunch of people gathering and they all wore t-shirts that said, feel the burn. We would know where we were at. And then if you went to another one down the street and it said, make America great again, you would know where you were at. Well, these guys were waving palm branches and singing Hosanna. You knew where you were at. This was the zealots who wanted Jesus to come into Jerusalem and be the Messiah that they wanted him to be. Namely, they wanted him to take over and revolt against Rome 
and, and win back their freedom. That's what's going on. Jesus is walking into Jerusalem. People hear about him for three years. He's been walking around a man claiming to be God, performing miracles. People don't know what to do with this. Just like today, I would say, not everyone knows what to do with this, but you can't ignore it. And this group of zealots, they, they wave, they, they're waving palm branches and going, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, a.k.a. they're, they're saying, come and, and revolt against Rome. We're behind you. I imagine they had palm branches in one hand and swords ready to fight. And here they're, 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 they're making this, these nonverbal clues, right? Come beat Rome. They're expecting Jesus to ride in on a war horse, right? And what does he ride in on if you know history? He rides in on a donkey, which is the symbol of a king entering into a city for peace. Jesus is also giving this this very nonverbal communication. I didn't come to be the Messiah you think I am. That's why that night he's standing over Jerusalem and it records he wept. And he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you only knew today what would really bring you peace. So Palm Sunday is actually a day where we remember that we don't need all of the external changes that we think we need. We need changes on the inside. That God's kingdom transforms from the inside out. That God's kingdom was, Jesus was coming as the Messiah to establish his kingdom, but it was an upside down kingdom from what they thought, what they wanted, what they thought would fix their problems. Our deepest problems lie within. Jesus came to save from the inside out. This is what Palm Sunday represents. That God's kingdom is built from the inside out. And now at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, this is three years before he enters into Jerusalem, he's already begun to speak these types of terms with, with, with the people who are following him. And in Luke 6... We, we see what's called this, this Sermon on the Plain. Jesus is giving instruction to his followers of what it looks like to be his followers. And we're just going to look at one section that's a part of a bigger section. And I'll try to, if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks or, or months, um, I'll try to kind of fill you in what you need to know in order to understand what Jesus is saying. But he says some interesting things. He goes, a good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes or grapes picked from a bramble bush. A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. And so the first thing, and the second thing in your notes, and by the way, I, I, I saw that you, I accidentally sent to our, our to, to Trisha, who, who does our notes, I sent her the wrong thing. Usually there's some fill in the blanks. You got like Tuesday's version of my notes, and so I'm probably not going to follow those. I'm sorry. <laughs> if you're wondering what's going on with this thing, with the yellow highlighting and stuff, that's my bad. But, but what we're going to see as we enter into here, that what God is really saying through these, he's not talking about 
you know, he's not, he's not testing our intelligence going, did you know that uh, grapevines create grapes and uh, thorn bushes do not create grapes, right? Like, what are you talking about, Jesus? He's saying some very deep and profound things about life and about our hearts and about his kingdom. And, and the first thing I would say in, in here is that God's kingdom is entered by choosing to follow. God's kingdom is entered by choosing to follow. And like I said, this is just a, a, a small section of a bigger section. And what we learned last week is a continuation of what we're learning this week. So I want to give you a little bit of a review. Last week, we saw that Jesus talks about, he uses, he uses business economics and business ethics to kind of say something about the kingdom of God. And, and namely, there was this, this idea in Judaism, which I think is just a general principle, of no unjust scales. When, when you would go and buy something at a farmer's market or something like that, and, and they, would, they would basically take their whatever they were doing, they say, they say it was oats, steel-cut oats, right? They were, they were weighing these steel-cut oats, and they would weigh it on their scale, and that's how they would determine how much you, they charged you. An uh, unjust scale would be it, it, it weighed and you didn't get as much as you thought because it was an unjust scale, right? It was rigged. You don't want to have an unjust scale. And Jesus is like, no unjust scales. And he goes, don't judge, don't condemn, for the way that you measure is the way that it will be measured to you. And so the idea is that he's not talking about business ethics. He's talking about life. And he's saying, don't weigh people's worth with an unjust scale. Don't judge, don't condemn. When we condemn somebody, it's, it's, it's treating them uh, as if the sin that you see in them, the issues that you see in them, is where they are and where they'll always be. It's forgetting that, that Jesus came to redeem people, that everybody has worth, that nobody is beyond God's reach, that nobody is beyond God's redemption. And so the takeaway is that we're supposed to treat people better than they deserve. Everybody's created in God's image. Nobody's trash. Nobody, and, he, and he gives this interesting analogy. He goes, when you weigh somebody, don't just weigh them with an even scale. Weigh them with a gracious scale. And he goes, uh, like packed down, shaken, and, and overflowing and pouring into your lap. So like, imagine you go to the farmer's market and there's a, a total hipster, right? He's got, you know he's a hipster because he's got wax mustache and he's got construction boots on, but his hands are soft. That's how you could tell a hipster. <laughs> and, and, he, and he's like, here's this table, and he's doing the oats, and, and he's got these, this like already set court, and he's going to sell that to you, and it's a, a, a price. Well, he could he can kind of like fluff it in there, and there's lots of air in there. But imagine if he did the right thing. He's, he's packing it down, pushing it down, pouring more in there till it overflows. And then he's like, and, and hold it right here. And he goes, put your shirt like this. It'll pour into your lap, and it would be this idea that it would like, you'd be walking away with like, wow, I got a good deal. That's the idea of like how people want, Jesus is teaching us to treat other people. And then he goes, why do you go and, and say, uh, uh, you have a speck of dust on your glasses when you have a two by four in your eye, right? First take the two by four out of your eye and then you'll see clearly to be able to remove the dust from your neighbor's eye. And the idea would be, remember that you're a sinner who had a two by four in your eye. That changes your perspective. Like, hey, I... I still got the scar from the two by four in my eyes, so I'm not walking around like I'm better than anybody else. I'm just a beggar who's happy to show other beggars where I found bread. That's the idea of last week. And now Jesus brings 
this over. And he's like, how do you even evaluate somebody as good or not anyways? And he goes, a good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. Here's the reality and here's the, here's, the, here's the truth bomb that they're supposed to get. Not everybody got, but this is what Jesus is saying. Nobody is good on their own. Everybody needs, everybody's got a two by four in their eye. We're all a bunch of fellow strugglers with two by fours in our eye. And nobody's good enough. And that's why I, I, would, I would say you, you enter the kingdom of God by choosing to follow This Jesus, because what happens is that Jesus came to die on a cross so that our sin, our not good enoughness, was put on his cross. And then he gave us his righteousness, his goodness in God's eyes. And we're transformed from the inside out. We we are people who were once thorn bushes that God has graciously reached down and made us into luscious vines. And now we can produce fruit, not because of anything that we did, because of what God did on our behalf. So this idea here is that you would choose to follow this Jesus who has, who has packed down, shaken, and is spilling over in grace on our lives. And he's like, now that you, that's happened to you, do that to others. What you want them to do to you, do unto others is a, a, a saying that Jesus said that's become popular. This is the language Jesus is talking about. We must choose to follow the Lord. And, and this idea of a Messiah, when Jesus comes in as the Messiah, he is the Messiah. It's just the palm branches and the, and the, and the defeat Rome language is not why he came. If you only knew what would really bring you peace. Isn't it seem like sometimes if I just had a bigger bank account, it would fix not all of my problems, but like, you know, most of them. If I could only go back and change that one thing, that would fix everything. And we wallow on it. If I could only, if, if it, you know what, America's the problem. It's out there. That's the problem. God, change out there. And that's the solution. And he's like, no. We should be like, God, let the change start in me. Let the change start in me. He's the Messiah that comes one person at a time and changes you from the inside out. He takes you from a thorn bush and makes you into a luscious vine because you're connected to him. And then you can produce fruit. We need this Messiah, which means Lord and Savior. The Savior is is the fact that he goes back into our past and redeems it. He takes all the sin of our past and he nails it to the cross. He becomes our savior from our own sin, which reconciles us to him. Our relationship was split because of sin and reconciliation works. Like if you have beef with somebody, I don't know if, if you're married or if, you have, if you've ever like been around a person, you probably have understand this, right? You get some beef. Like sometimes something gets in the way of you and somebody else and there's something in the way. And until you go and you remove that, You really can't be reconciled. And Jesus removed what was in the way between us and God, which was sin, on the cross, and reconciles us to him. He becomes our savior. And not only that, he becomes our Lord. So if if, if in the simplest terms, savior is dealing with our sin from the past, 
by the way, it also deals with the sin that happens, continues to happen. Amen? Right? Any of us ever get saved and then we're fixed? Right? It's a continual process. But just for simplest terms, he saves us from our sin from the past. And Lord means he's king. He leads us into the future. Jesus came one person at a time to change us from the inside out, to be the Messiah who saves us from our sin, reconciles us to God, and leads us into the future. So Jesus is Lord and Savior. We take the two-by-four out of our eye, but we don't forget that we had a two-by-four in our eye. And then we're able to see clearly. We see people differently. You see people as somebody who has had a two-by-four in their eye, and it's like, oh, you just have a speck of dust. And by the way, we don't often use that scale, do we? At least I don't. I tend to go like, oh, yeah, I can see. I have some smudges on my glasses. Whoa, you got a two-by-four in your eye, right? I'm the one with the dust. You're the one with the two-by-four. No, he's like, reverse that. The scales need to change. You have the two-by-four. And they have the dust. And Jesus is not saying this thing to try to discourage us or to keep us from having hope. He's saying this thing because he wants to redeem us and he wants us to be the most humble people on the planet and he wants us to be the most confident people in the planet. As Christians who have been redeemed by Jesus, sinners saved by grace, we should be the most humble people on the planet because we had a two by four in our eye that we couldn't remedy and he came and removed it for us. He hung on the two by four for our, for our sin. And so we should be humble. We didn't do it. We didn't earn it. But guess what? We should also be confident because he has changed us from the inside out and now we can produce good fruit by his grace. So we should be the most humble people on the planet and the most confident people on the planet. And guess what? That doesn't always take place in the church, right? If you're here and you don't associate with the church, you probably don't have the view. Like when, just describe to me Christians, right? Oh yeah, they're the most humble people on the planet and the most confident people on the planet. It's amazing, right? No, we're like hypocrites, judgy, right? We're we saying all these things. That should not be the case if we understand what Jesus said at the beginning of his ministry and then continue to say, even as he's riding in on a donkey, he's saying over and over again, and he's still saying it today. And you can't fake godliness. You can't just be a better person on your own. A bad tree does not produce good fruit. It must be changed into a different tree. You're not going to produce godliness without God. You must have God. Then you can produce godliness. That's the message that we're hearing from Jesus. And he uses this language, which is interesting. He goes, a tree is known by its fruit. If you have your paper Bible, you can circle, underline in verse 44 this word, known. In the Bible, it means intimate relationship. Intimacy. You know, intimacy was sometimes described as, into me you see. When you have somebody that you're intimate with, they've seen the deepest parts of you. They've seen beyond what most people see. It's what makes it an intimate relationship. And known in the Bible is often associated with having a relationship with God. Matter of fact, when Jesus is later talking, he's like, at the end of the time, we're all going to stand before this this God who will be the judge. And he's going to say, enter into the kingdom because I knew you. I had an intimate relationship with you. And to some, he's going to say, 
I didn't know you. It's not enough to have to know information about him. It's an intimate relationship that comes by being reconciled. And there's only one way for that to happen through Jesus on the cross. And we can know him. And then notice in the, in the passage, he also says, a good tree produces, produces. Circle, underline, or highlight that. Produces. Throughout, Luke is going to really develop this, and then the New Testament really develops this. When it produces means a result of. It's a result of. There's a result of, of Jesus coming into your heart and changing you from the inside. There'll be a result that happens from that. As a matter of fact, Paul later tells the Galatian church that when the Holy Spirit comes into your heart, it begins to change you from the inside out, right? In Philippians, Paul goes, you can be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus when Jesus returns again, or when you die and go face him, or he comes and faces you. It's the day of the Lord. And he's going to continue to work on you. And then in Galatians, he goes, and the fruit of the Spirit being in you is what? It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, self-control. These are the fruits that will be produced in somebody who's, who's been redeemed by Jesus and is being sanctified by the Holy Spirit. When God's Spirit is in you, when you're a vine that's a branch that's connected to the real vine, right? You're going to flourish. You're going to produce. That's what John said in John 15. So this idea is that when the Holy Spirit is in you, you're going to be changing from the inside out. We're going to have the worship team come back out. And I just thought about this, and this might be the worst analogy I've ever come up with, but I, th- I think it's kind of interesting. How many of you guys ever watch uh, Netflix? How many of you guys, guys, don't raise your hand because I'll judge you like somebody who has construction boots and soft hands. But, but I'll raise my hand. How many of you guys have ever seen Tidying Up? What's, her, what's the lady's name? Marie Kondo. See how it was all girl voices, right? But the guys knew. The guys knew, but you were just too prideful to say it, right? But here's the thing. So Marie Kondo, it's Marie Kondo, right? Something like that. Marie Kondo, I'll pretend like I don't know. Marie Kondo comes into your house, right? She flies all the way here from where? Like Japan or something like that? She flies here from Japan. That's nice. She comes into your house and she, and she changes your house from the inside out. And she, she's like, dude, you've been folding your shirts all wrong. You don't fold your shirts and put them flat. That's dumb, right? You put them this way and we can see them all. And like you, everyone sees it. Like, why didn't I think of that, right? And then she comes in and she goes, look, let's look at everything. And I want you to hold it. And this is where it gets weird, right? She's like, I want you to hold it. And I want you to think to yourself, does this spark joy? And if it sparks joy, what do you do? Well, you keep that. But what if it doesn't spark joy? Right? You get rid of it. And here Jesus is like, hey, you got to be a new fruit, a new tree. And here's how it works. It's not only that you get saved one time and then you're good. It's that he begins a new work in you and then he continues to to work in you through the Holy Spirit. He continues to transform you from the inside out. The Holy Spirit is a little bit like, don't don't quote me on this, a little bit like Marie Kondo. (laughs) And he comes in, he's like, he's like, hey, does this produce love and joy and patience, right? Does this produce goodness and faithfulness and self-control? Well, keep that. Does it not produce that? Well, get rid of that. 
and live your life like this one day at a time with a Messiah who doesn't come and go before you and change everybody out there who has all those two by fours in their eyes. He first helps you deal with your own two by four. And then you start seeing people and you're like, wow, nobody has a two by four. Well, some people have two by four in their eye, right? But I had a two by four in my eye too. And so now I treat people different. I have a lot more humility. I have a lot more humility. And not only that, the Holy Spirit is continuing to work in me. And slowly, over time, I start to have more love. I have more joy. I have more peace. I have more patience. I have more kindness. I have more faithfulness. I have more gentleness. I have more self-control. And God is changing me from the inside out. And he's changing us one person at a time. And then other people are supposed to see that. And now we go back to Abraham. I'm going to bless you that you can be a blessing. His Holy Spirit is blessing us by changing us from the inside out so that we can be a blessing to the whole world so that people can see this and go, I can see Jesus, not because I I totally get it, but I see something happening in you. I see something happening in you. I see something happening in you. And as, 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 as Peter will later describe it, we're like, he's building his kingdom with living stones, one of us at a time. One stone at a time. And then he'll also say, and we become living testimonies. Living testimonies. That people can see our life. And it testifies that this Jesus is real. I know he's real because he's, he showed up, not from Japan, but from heaven. And he's changing me from the inside out. God is real. The Messiah comes and changes from the inside out. And so I want to describe what we're going to do for the rest of our time. If you have never been here, we do, we're going to do some corporate singing. You can sing along with us. The words will be up here. Uh, I, would, I would just offer this. If you're like, it, it, it's never disingenuous to sing whether you feel like it or not. Because worship is worship. Worship is worship. And I can promise you this. This God that we're going to sing to is worth it. He's worthy. So you're never disingenuous when you sing worth to a worthy God. But you can choose that on your own. You can sit. You can stand. There's some people that are over here that are going to pray for you. We're going to sing about three songs. And then we're going to, we're going to serve communion. Communion is going to get passed by. Communion is when we celebrate that we do believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Savior from our past. Lord of our future. If that's you, then take the elements. If not, feel free to leave it. Um, don't be worried about making a mistake. If you're like, I don't know. Enjoy the cracker and grape juice on us, okay? You can do that. We're going to take communion together. We're going to take communion. And then we're going to have three people that are going to come up here. They're going to get baptized today after we have lunch. And they're going to share their testimony. What you're going to witness is three, three living testimonies. Pointing to this Jesus who's still changing lives from the inside out. After they do their testimonies, we'll go outside, we'll eat pizza, and, and then we'll watch them get baptized. It's very simple, but it's very significant. So I want to pray, and then we'll begin this process by singing together. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you that you came from heaven to earth. We thank you that though we were thorn bushes, you came and changed our hearts and gave us new life, and vine began to to grow. 
and fruit began to form. And for all of us, myself included, God, I just want you to come into my heart, even as we're singing, and begin to tidy up. I need so much change. I still have too many two-by-fours in my eye, God. I'm like, I'm like a Home Depot wood aisle, just piles of two-by-fours. God, come change my, change my perspective. Continue to redeem me and sanctify me and change me from the inside out. And I pray, God, that we would be living testimonies after leaving today, that we be ready to go out into the world and display the real Jesus. We just ask for forgiveness for the church and all the times when, when we haven't done that well. And we pray that you, would, that you would redeem us and change us and help us to, to shine your light, your glory, your goodness, your truth, one moment at a time to our friends and our neighbors and to the whole world. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to Remembrance Community Church Podcast. You can find all our weekly sermons online at remembrancecommunity.org forward slash sermons. Thank you for listening.